100 and 2000 UTC. Stand up! Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. And happy Friday. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the October 21st edition of the sunny side of sports. Let's kick off in Uganda, which recently joined the United States and other countries in commemorating White Cane Safety Day. It's a day that celebrates the achievements of blind or visually impaired people. And on this Friday, let's give a sunny side of sports salute to Musafaru Jagway, who is bringing hope to visually impaired people in Uganda and helping promote blind football. In this sunny side of sports feature, Magume Davis Rakawinge tells us more about Jagway and explains how blind football is played in Uganda. Sporty Friday greetings, Magume. Sporty Friday greetings to Tusani and our listeners. As a little boy, 24-year-old Muzafaru Jagwe used to love sports and football in particular and was an integral member of his class team until he lost the sight at the age of seven. He says most of his peers start to despise and discriminate against him, at times calling his names Castle, which means one-eyed man. He did not lose hope in the game that he so much loved and promised himself would participate in it directly or indirectly sometime in life. After he graduated with a bachelor's degree in business computing from Makerere University in Kampala in 2019, Jagwe took it upon himself to start a blind football team. He was actually overwhelmed to find out that many, just like him, want to rekindle their lost life in the sport of football. With the game of blind football not so common in the country, Jagwe used the available resources. Starting with the gold ball, but it wasn't easy for use because of its hard surface. Its hardness and heaviness and it being big, it's made from rubber. So when you strike it on the wall, they easily get broken. Unlike these normal foot, the footballs we use. That's how I began. But later on, I started researching and then reaching out to people, organizations. And that's how I, I, I got in touch with the international Blind Football Foundation. The International Blind Football Association donated to him 10 balls and eye shields. Blind football is a form of football for athletes with a partial or total visual impairments. It consists of two halves of between 20 to 25 minutes and a 10 minutes break with each team allowed a time out of a minute. In order to avoid collusions, players are required to say "voy" or something similar when going for the ball. The game is played by five players on each side. Four outfield players and a goalkeeper. Outfield players must at all times be blindfolded, but the goalkeeper can be someone with sight. Yeah, however much they are blind, they always have some levels of, of sight. For example, somebody can see shadows, somebody, somebody can also see shapes, can understand shapes, and some can understand that it is during day, during night. That's why we cover them, to bring out that thing of fairness. The game doesn't have throw-ins and there's no offside rule. The pitch could be cement, grass or artificial turf. But the playing area must be between 38 to 42 meters long and 18 to 22 meters wide. Oh, 
At Macquarie University Rugby Grounds, they converge at least twice a week to earn their skills in the newly found game, blind football. One of the players here, Abraham Mukundane, says the game has helped him improve his self-esteem. I've got many friends and film somewhere <laughs> because uh, I've received several interviews, like maybe on Wikipedia TV and uh, these other local TV stations. So okay, many people came, uh, they asked me questions, how do we play? You know, they had that love for adventure towards the way we are playing. Yeah. That, okay, there's that inadvice that gives them that disability, not inability. Teammate? Alex Osborne, Yekorach, agrees. It has brought that hope uh, in my life that I can still play again. So I, I find this so interesting. We were missing a lot. Uh, what, what the other worlds were doing, but in Uganda we were missing it. Spain is considered to be the pioneers of the game that is fast growing worldwide and is competed in national leagues, championships and Paralympics. Brian Chiyinji, an assistant coach here, says, has learned virtues such as tolerance and patience working with people with such impairments. For them, they don't want to be forced to do something. You have to make them to love something so that they can do it very well. Yeah. Vike Kwagara, a volunteer here, says she's inspired seeing people with sight impairments engaging in a game. The energy they put in in playing the football, the love, is through very cool. Yes, it really motivates me a lot, seeing those boys running up and down to kick, kicking the ball. Player Nyakorach says he's very determined. He says he hopes the game of blind football will take him places. I'm not, not playing just because of training and, and just stopping here in Uganda. I want to reach those top level, uh, com level of competitions like Paralympics. Like currently I'm training and I have a hope of playing in the Paralympics of 2024, which is going to be in Paris in France. Another player here? Rashid Semakula also has big dreams. I hear in Brazil, they are blind footballers in Brazil, France, where, where. So I want also like to go somewhere far. I become a profession also. Because I can copy those guys outside. Jago Muzaffar agrees. He says he believes his team has the ability to match the rest of the world and bring home world championships in Uganda and promote the game on the African continent. My boys are better than any team on the African continent. We, we, we haven't even just gotten the opportunity. Even Europe, even Asia, all over the world, we are better than so many teams. We just have to get a test. Brazil are record champions with five championships and are followed by four South Americans. Argentina have two out of seven championships. With two gold medals, Belarus also dominate the game for the partially sighted, also known as B2 or B3, followed by Ukraine and Russia with one apiece. Japan remained the lone winners of the ever women blind championships to ever be held in Vienna, Austria in 2017. With no proper funding, Jagwe depends on his family support and friends to promote the game. Another challenge here is that there are no pitches for the sport, but he says he wants to relent and continue to promote the game that may help his community socially and economically. Football is an alternative that we can rely on and then we can push on to solve mental health issues for people with vision impairment, to solve inactivity, to be proactive in the communities. For the sunny side of sports, I am Mugume, Davis Rwakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. <laughs>
Hello listeners, my name is Jago Mzafal and I'm the founder and chairman of Blind Football, a parasport administrator and a disability inclusion advocate. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on the Voice of America. Former Australian football star Tim Cahill says he's excited about watching top African players like Sadio Mane compete at next month's World Cup in Qatar. Yawafusu Larbi spoke with Cahill and he joins us now from Accra, Ghana. Sporty greetings, Yao! Sporty greetings, Sonny. Tim Cahill had a decent football career. He played most of his career at senior level for Everton Football Club in the English Premier League. For his country, he scored their first World Cup goal, played in four World Cups from 2006 to 2018, and has scored the most goals for Australia at the World Cup. These days, he is not in the space where he runs a lot chasing balls and trying to knock them into the net. He's an advocate for football, going to different countries across the world to spread the gospel of the sports that has largely become known as the beautiful game. Cahill also works now as one of Qatar's legacy ambassadors for this year's World Cup. With only a few days to go, he is already looking forward to it. I think um, it's exciting, you know, to be able to finally be here, um, and especially after countries not being able to travel for so many years uh, to host the biggest tournament in the world in Qatar, first of its kind in, in, in the Middle East is exciting because we're sitting in a stadium now, it's air-conditioned, um, the facilities, everything's being prepared, everything around the World Cup, it's the fan experience now, it's all about fans coming, enjoying the hospitality, the culture, the people, and the most important thing is the football, you know, uh, is the group games and, and every country fighting it out to, to get through their group and hopefully do something special. This World Cup will be exciting in many ways. There's a Brazil team that wants to compete again. A German team that has many young and exciting players. Talented United States and Canada teams. And African teams who want to change perceptions of them at this stage. I'm biased because I have to obviously look at Australia. And we have France and um, Denmark and Tunisia. And also with working in Qatar, it's also good to keep a close eye on Qatar, who have Ecuador, Netherlands uh, and Senegal. Um, I have a lot of friends playing in this tournament, a lot of uh, presidents of the federations that I'm close with, and it'll be great to see Cameroon do well. Obviously, Ghana, knowing a few of the players, Wakaso has just signed for our Belgium club, which is exciting. Andre Ayou plays in the league. Uh, many African countries with Mane coming here as well. Uh, it, it'll be exciting to see a lot of international talent on show, but talent that's ready to come and perform straight away from their league fresh. For the many African nations, players who will be playing there will want to produce great performances for their fans back home. They will also use the World Cup as a conduit to drive attention to the football being played in their home countries. Cahill says this is important for the growth of the sports. I think they represent um, a pathway for the boys and girls back home in their countries to aspire to. They're going to be playing on these pitches, inspiring the next generation, and the kids are going to be home within their cities thinking that could be me one, one day to their parents. And when you have players like this doing the business, playing in the biggest leagues in the world and playing professionally, um, it's an opportunity for them to say, like, hopefully one day they'll get that chance. and. 
their close friends, um, Samueletto, the same. He's now ex-player going into the president of his federation. It's great to see ex-footballers become executives to go to the next level and to um, help their country on all levels of growth across football. Representing your country at any level is a great feeling, none more so than the World Cup, because stages do not come bigger than this. It gives a sense of national pride. The former Australian star says national honour should be on every player's mind. Personally, for players, you have a responsibility to represent your country. Everything you do, your badge, this is, um, you represent a population. When I speak to the Australian national team and to the players, you know the jersey is just with the players for the time being. They don't own the jersey. doesn't matter how good you are. I played in four World Cups. It was never my jersey. It was a jersey that I wore in that time that will be passed on to the next generation. I think the mindset for the whole World Cup is to make it a good experience for your fans, something to remember. And also, you can't win everything. You have to understand that there is a winner and a loser and that um, the game, that's what brings the passion and the excitement. So for the fans travelling here, just enjoy it. So in a few days, the World Cup will be here. It will be that time to scream out loud again and maybe get our hearts broken again. But that is what the beautiful game is all about. For the sunny side of sports, this is Yao Fusilabi in Accra. Thanks, Yao. In African athletics, Ethiopia's three-time Olympic champion, Kenanisa Bekele, one of the greatest runners ever, visited our Voice of America headquarters here in Washington on Thursday. Kenanisa made history at the recent London Marathon, clocking two hours, five minutes, and 53 seconds. That's the fastest ever marathon by a runner 40 years or older. In an interview with VOA's Jackson Vungani, Kenanisa said injuries hampered his training for London. Actually, for London Marathon, I was... Uh... Uh, on uh, injury before, you know, like two months before, uh, I couldn't prepare uh, really full preparation for London. So that was my uh, shortest uh, preparation uh, for London Marathon. Still, uh, I did great job, but uh, I have uh, capacity to do even faster than that pace if I prepare a long time. Mm. Uh, so with uh, short preparation, uh, running 205, you know, it's uh, really uh, great, but uh, even I can't do It's quite remarkable. Yeah. Let, let's take, let me take you back from when you were growing up. How did you get the love for running? When did you start? Uh, early age, like uh, 15, 16 years when I was uh, in uh, high school. Uh, I was playing with uh, my friend, you know, with teachers in the high school. They, especially my sport teacher, uh, saw me in the... You know, when during I was playing football with uh, with them, and uh, advised me to maybe if I train with running, then football, I I will going to I will be maybe successful. You know, so his uh, advice, uh, of course, you know, work it. That, he saw that, that you had the in, uh, you had it in you. He saw the talent. Yes, he saw my you know my uh, activities and uh, advised me to. Uh, train mm. maybe athletics if I join athletics f in the future I have a good opportunity to maybe 
become success. Did you ever dream that you'll achieve what you've already achieved at this point? Uh, of course, you know, I did everything, you know, from cross country, uh, indoor, outdoor championship, like Olympic, world championship, so marathons, nothing else to, or maybe I want to, you know, do something more, mm. but uh, I did everything, but, uh, you know, nothing left me away. But what legacy do you want to leave behind? How do you want people to remember Kenanisa Bekele? Uh, you know, that's, you know, I, I did already my job uh, after, you know, remembering maybe I said to young generation or, you know, people who love uh, especially sport, athletics, I think uh, after this, you know, they're uh, accept to them, you know, if they want to motivate their uh, their kids and, uh, f you know, for a new generation, maybe they can use uh, whatever, you know, what I did. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can advise the, their, uh, you know, young generation. So, In terms of advice, what does it take to become a great runner? Is it physical or mental? I think you need everything because if uh, physically you are not ready, you cannot do anything. Uh, physically, mentally, you need to ready. You need to really focus and uh, have a big hope and a future. You know, you have to happy what you are doing and uh, with your uh, activity, you have to really hope. Uh, I can do it, you know. You have to uh, tell yourself anything. If you do hard and if you are disciplined, you can uh, success. You can uh, uh, bring success, you know. So you have to motivate mentally, physically, of course, everything you need. Now, Kenya and Ethiopia are known as the two running powerhouses in Africa. They produce great runners like yourselves who have bro broken world records. What is it about these two countries? What is it that you do in Ethiopia that you have you've been able to produce great runners like yourself? Of course, we are neighbors, and uh, same we live in uh, similarly in uh, same uh, weather condition, sa same uh, life uh, style. You know, uh, in Ethiopia, in Ethiopia and uh, Kenya, we are uh, neighbor countries like borders. Mm. We do uh, long work, like hard job, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the country. So I think we learn also from each other and uh, follow each other. And like as a role model, you know, we we have some uh, big names, big athletes. So Kenya also, Ethiopia. That's why. In, young generation follow, you know, their role models. Mm. Because of that, everyone involved in trainings, in the discipline, you know. So I think that is, uh, that's why it's a success, big success comes, mm. you know, in Ethiopia and uh, Kenya. When you were growing up, who was the person that you were looking up to? Who was your role model in terms of running? Whose record that you wanted to beat? Uh, not actually to beat, but uh, just, our role models like Ababa uh, Bikila, we we learn in uh, we study also in uh, we learn in, 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 in high school. So 
history of a baby killer running without, without shoes, shoes yes. a winning uh, mm -hmm. uh, Rome Marathon, uh, Rome Olympic. So, Moros uh, Hifter from women's side, like mm -hmm. uh, Tulu and Fatima Tulu and Fatima Roba. Of course, after also, uh, like uh, Gabriel Sulasi and uh, young, you know, it's like uh, role model, you know, foot stepper, you know, so. Mm. What do you want to do after running? What is it, what, what is life like for Kenanisa after running, after you're not doing, after you take off your shoes and say, I'm done, I feel like I've achieved everything that I want to achieve. Because you're still a young man, obviously. Actually, <laughs> actually you cannot take off shoes, yeah. because for athletes, you know, uh, in your lifetime, you have to do sport, you know, you have to uh, run, you have to train, and uh, you have to motivate others, you know, young generation. Uh, some, many of them, uh, they are coaching now, they are advising young generation, so this is uh, like our, like our uh, part of job, you know, so maybe I'm, I want to enjoy, you know, uh, running in my lifetime. Not for result, of course, mm -hmm. but uh, apart that, I, I want to do my jobs, you know, like my businesses. I have hotel businesses and, uh, you know, like just resorts and mm -hmm. sport resorts. I want to do such kind of these things. And what advice would you give to a young person that is looking up to you to, to give them the motivation? Uh, what should they do to be able to, to run on the same level as you have? My motivation to them is uh, they have to listen their advisors. Like they need uh, an, instru an, uh, an instructor, like uh, coach, professional people. They have to follow. They have to meet uh, professionals and uh, listen what they telling them and uh, be disciplined and uh, uh, make you know big hope. Mm -hmm. So after they. Uh, start preparing maybe they have to make big hope and the discipline of course now i know that when we watch you running every, every time there's a marathon and kenanisa is running or any other ethiopian or kenyan everybody in africa is rooting for you they want you to win when you're running do you feel and winning do you feel you're winning for africa for ethiopia of course uh first for ethiopia after for Africa, yeah. Uh, also, uh, not only Africa, you know, from all of the world, people are uh, enjoying, you know, especially people who loves running, uh, athletics. So they follow, you know. Mm. My fans, my followers, is not only from Africa and Ethiopia. So I have from all of the world, you know, some you know followers in the fans. So I think uh, I'm happy to run in front of them and uh, giving them some motivational uh, uh, speech or, you know, showing them uh, running. Do you feel the love? Do you feel the support? Of from course, the yes. Yeah. I, because I I get every time you know, when I go to somewhere, you know, for competition, any country, you know, I see the people, how they are really interested and, in you know, loves you, you know, uh, around the sport. So yeah. I, 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 I notice. Absolutely. Kenanisa, thank you so much for taking time you, from your busy schedule to come and chat with us today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Or as we say, amaseganalo. 
አመሰግናለሁ አመሰግናለሁ ስለጋበዛችሁኝ አመሰግናለሁ That's the great Ethiopian runner Kenanisa Bekele and Kenanisa spoke with VOA's Jackson Vunganyi at our Voice of America headquarters here in Washington. Friday marks 30 days to the kickoff of the 2022 FIFA World Cup football tournament in Qatar. FIFA president Gianni Infantino says it will be a World Cup of peace and unity and one that brings the world together after some difficult times. We hear more from my VOA colleague Gwen Uden. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sunny. FIFA World Cup 2022 has been 12 years in the making and now there's only one month to go before the tournament officially kicks off on November 20th in Qatar. On that day, the spotlight will shine bright on the host nation in their day- debut match against Ecuador ahead of opening ceremony. FIFA president Gianni Infantino has said the upcoming competition can help bring the world together. And this week Infantino addressed the world in a pre-recorded video message and emphasized that all are welcome. This FIFA World Cup, a tournament of peace and unity, will be the one that brings the world together after some difficult times. And let me repeat it clearly. Everyone will be welcomed to the tournament, regardless of their origin, background, religion, gender, sexual orientation or nationality. Infantino's message comes amid growing safety concerns among football fans in LGBTQ+ communities who want to travel to Qatar where homosexuality is illegal. However, in an interview with Sky Sports earlier this week, chief executive of the 2022 World Cup, Nasser Al-Qatar, reassured the LGBTQ+ community that everyone will feel safe in the host nation. Another area of concern leading up to the tournament has been the issue of workers' rights. In 2021, the Guardian published a report that revealed more than 6,500 migrant workers from South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa died in the decades since Qatar was awarded hosting rights. Many of those deaths were directly linked to the construction of World Cup stadiums in and around the capital city Doha. Rights groups including Amnesty International have called on FIFA to allot over 400 million dollars to compensate migrant workers who were exposed to forced labor, unpaid wages, and excessive working hours during World Cup preparations. And while the government of Qatar has denied claims of migrant worker exploitation, Gianni Infantino maintains human rights protections remain one of FIFA's top priorities. Wherever we go around the world, we are of course uh, highlighting the need for uh, protecting human rights. When it comes to the situation in uh, in Qatar in particular, I think we need to be fair there as well and admit that a lot of progress has happened. A lot of progress Uh, in the conditions of uh, the workers uh, of course more can be done everywhere always 
The upcoming World Cup is taking place in the smallest nation to hold soccer's biggest event. Qatar, with a population of about 2.8 million people, is now bracing for an influx of nearly 1.2 million fans for the upcoming tournament. Due to limited accommodations in Qatar, thousands of visitors will have to stay in neighboring countries and fly into Doha to attend World Cup matches. However, the direct- Director General of the World Cup Organizing Committee, Yasser Al-Jamal, says an additional 30,000 hotel rooms have been made available in Qatar for last-minute ticket holders. There is a high demand for accommodation, especially around the group stages. We have sold around 2 million room nights throughout the tournament, and I'm happy today to announce that an additional 30,000 room has been added to the portal Qatar Accommodation Agency, that's equivalent to around 1 million room nights, in line with the last-minute ticket sales. This has been designed to ensure all ticket holders have the best chance of securing accommodation. Soccer teams, support staff, and World Cup officials will occupy many hotel rooms in Doha. Japan is scheduled to be the first team to arrive in Qatar on November 7th. In all, 32 countries are set to compete for the World Cup trophy, with the 2018 World Cup champions France aiming to defend the title. This year's World Cup is the first to be held at the end of the calendar year and the first to take place in the Middle East. And now, just 30 days before the start of World Cup 2022, FIFA and Qatar organizers say nearly 3 million tickets have been sold. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden. And that wraps up the October 21st edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Have a good weekend, everyone. And that's the sunny side of sports.